Please pray with me. Oh God, we commit this time to you. And we thank you, Lord, for moving among us by your spirit, touching hearts and lives. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to worship in this place. And we join with countless others all over the world honoring you and that we do adore you. And we claim you are Christ the Lord. So we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Do y'all like Christian socks? If, if I had known, I mean, they're great, right? You know, it makes me think I, I actually have some Snoopy socks that are Christmassy, so, you know, maybe not. <laughs> um, just a word about Pastor John. He is doing well. He had double knee replacement. Um, it'll be two weeks ago on Tuesday. And so he is recovering at home. Um, he was able to be here for part of Brandon's service um, in a wheelchair for those of you that were here that day. But he's doing well. His physical therapist, I think he mentioned torture somewhere in that, is, with all due respect, but um, to physical therapists. But um, anyway, the physical therapist supposedly will have him up walking with a cane tomorrow. So hopefully we expect him to be back next Sunday preaching. So this is Happy New Year to the Christian church and to Christians. This is the beginning of Advent, and this is the beginning of our year, basically, in the church. And so it's a reminder of Jesus coming as a baby, but it's also a reminder that he will come again. And we are in the in-between. I read this morning on a text from Seedbed um, how if there was not a resurrection, we would not be celebrating Christmas, right? And so we celebrate Christmas and we are grateful uh, for Christmas, but it's all in the perspective of the resurrection and what Jesus did for us on the cross and what he still does. One of the famous scriptures of Advent is Isaiah 9-2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those who living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The children of Israel um, have struggled throughout their history of being in times of good times and then not such good times. Um, from the time of judges, where they would struggle for a while and then God would raise up a judge and they would do well for a while and then the Bible says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And then they would, another judge would rise up, and that was for a number of years. And then they decided they wanted a king, like all the other countries. And so God chose Samuel, and not Samuel, God chose Saul, um, and that didn't go so well, as we know. And then David, and then Solomon. So after Solomon, there was such confusion, and it, darkness, the kingdom divided, and it was only a matter of, well, it was a number of years before they fell. The, the superpowers in those days were first the Assyrians, and the Assyrians were the ones that, that came in and, and captured Israel. Israel was in kind of the crossroads of the ancient world, 
And so their land was critical for getting goods and things like that into Egypt and into Africa. So Israel was prime land, so to speak. They were ruled by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, and then the Romans. And they were all looking for the one that would come and drive out the Romans. They were all looking for the one, the Messiah, the anointed one, who would drive out their enemies and that they could reign uh, as a people in their land. When Jesus was talking, even with his disciples before the ascension, they, they even then, now think about it, he, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, he had told them, you know, all this stuff, and they said, will you right now restore to Israel the kingdom? And my paraphrase, Jesus basically was saying that that's none of your business. God knows when that's going to happen. But he, he proclaims in, in Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the earth. And then he ascended into heaven. And so the job is on us. Of, of what needs to happen with witnessing and bringing people to Christ and all of that. Their expectations, the disciples' expectations, were not, were not what happened. I'm sure there was disappointment and tremendous grief in the, res, in, in the cross. And then with the resurrection, they were still confused, and then he was there among them, and then he left. And he said, tarry in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. And then there was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And even this week, reading in the Gospel of John, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he said, it's better for you that I go away so the Holy Spirit will come. Now, can you let that sink in a little bit? He had walked with them, you know, for years. They knew his peace. They had seen him raise the dead. They had seen his miracles. And he said, it's better for you that I go away so the Holy Spirit will come. It shows how critical the work of the Holy Spirit is and how we so need to embrace him. We hope for many things, and some of those are small things. Um, we have expectations of how life will be. We have expectations for our children. We have expectations for our, our lives, for our work, for all that we do. And yet, sometimes expectations are not fulfilled. Hope is commonly used to mean a wish. Its strength is the strength of the person's desire. But in the Bible, hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised, and its strength is in his faithfulness. For us, for Christians, it's the confident expectation that he will bring good. Disappointment happens in our lives when we have unmet expectations. Sometimes those are small things, like when a football game is lost, right? I mean, some of y'all are more into that than others, but, you know, we have disappointments when things happen. We have disappointments, you know, that are not really a significant thing in, in many ways. My father's family... Uh, when he was growing up, they attended a very legalistic, uh, a very harsh church. And so when my father and all of, his, uh, all of his brothers and sisters, there were eight of them, 
when they became adults, they did not go to church. And then after a while, they, some of them went to Episcopal churches, some never returned to church. Um, I was christened a Catholic. My father was trying to kind of figure out, you know, what he thought. And so when they had me, I was christened as a Catholic. Don't get too excited. Um, but when I was three, uh, my mom started going to, we started going to the Episcopal church in Oak Cliff on 10th Street, um, Christ Episcopal. And I remember, and my aunt worked there. She was the administrative assistant to the pastor, to the priest. And I remember uh, sitting in church, and it was time for the offering. And I had a nickel. Now, I was three. I had a nickel. Now, that was about 60-ish years ago. So a nickel bought more than what a nickel buys now, just to say, you know. I think uh, a nickel bought a Coke. You know, it would buy a small carton of milk. But I had a nickel. And so I was watching the plate come down, and I guess I was, I don't know if I was sitting by my mother or, you know, if I'd been between my brother and sister, there would have been torture going on. Just let the record show that, you know, they were always messing with something. But the plate, I'm wanting to put it in, you know, and I'm ready to do that, and the plate just passes over. And I watch it go, you know, and I'm kind of like, you know, I have a huge donation here, you know, what, what is the thing? And I remember, and I've told y'all two stories about me crying. Our father really didn't let us cry, so, you know, so I started, up three, and I started crying in church, but with no volume. The mute was on, but my aunt sitting behind me could tell I was crying, and so she took me out and took me to the kitchen by the fellowship hall kind of thing, and I explained to her I wanted to put my nickel in the plate, you know. This might work for stewardship sometime, I don't know. Anyway, just saying. And so she said she could work it out, you know, that the nickel, she would make sure the nickel, you know, made its way into the coffers. Um, and she calmed me down. I'm sure a donut was involved. But, you know, the expectation that I had of wanting to do that and then the disappointment, obviously, is a very small thing. You know, it's not a big deal. Sometimes disappointments, sometimes things that we experience change our lives forever and change our story forever. Sometimes with deep disappointment or grief, there comes great darkness. And yet, we celebrate that Jesus came um, to bring light into the world. That for the people living in darkness, a great light has dawned. And so just understanding the darkness of that time and the false gods and the child sacrifice and that all that had gone on for the people of Israel when they were carried off into exile, they didn't just say, okay, we have a bus ready. We know it's hot here in the Middle East, so we have air-conditioned buses. Y'all get on the buses and we'll go to Babylon. They pierced their lip. Some of y'all are into lip piercing. They pierced their lip and they put a loop, a ring through it and had a rope and carried them off into exile. It was not pleasant. And those, for the, those were those that had survived because most had been killed. So it was brutal. And they were seeing no hope. They were seeing no hope. When would the Messiah come? When would he come? 
In times of great darkness, he hears our cry. Do we trust him in the darkness? Are we willing to trust him when we do not understand? Are we willing to release our plans and our expectations of life into his care? Are we willing for what he wants more than what we want? And sometimes that's a big deal because, you know, we have plans. We have calendars. We have plans, right? Are we willing to trust him that he will bring good from it even when we don't have a clue and we feel like we've got it all planned out? Remember the the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Greeks and the Romans who just totally ruled the land, not nicely, I might add, right? Well, with the Greeks, they demanded that everyone learn Greek. And so everyone in Israel had to know Greek. And the New Testament was written in Greek. The Romans brought, you know, tremendous oppression but they built roads that were safe for all of their military equipment to travel on. And they also brought peace. And so for the early church, the New Testament, written in Greek, everyone could read it. And the peace that, that was provided by the Romans, the roads that they would carry the gospel on were incredibly significant. I talked with a friend this week Um, who is struggling with a life-changing event. And a very common experience is to just feel like there's darkness. And yet in Psalm 139, it talks about where do I go from your presence? And where can I go, oh God, from, from you? You know, if I go to the depths of the sea, you are there. If I, if I try to fly, you are there. Uh, if I am in, in darkness, you bring light to my darkness. The Apostle John said the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So can we trust him? Do we want his will, his identity to be our own? We who bear his name as Christians, are we willing to say, I trust you to take care of my children. Because, you know, what can I do to take care of my children, right? Are y'all with me? Yes, no, maybe so, yes. I mean, I can't literally go with them everywhere they are. And yet God does. I can trust him with my adult children. Do we release Do we really want his will, his identity to be our own? And that's a big deal. It's not my expectation for myself or what I think my identity is. My identity needs to be in Jesus. And from there, be obedient to what he has. And I promise you, it's so much better than anything I could have imagined. It's so much better. Even though things have happened that that I might not understand or comprehend, God brings goodness, God brings goodness and healing and restoration and redemption. That's his job. So are we willing to lay down our expectations and our plans? 
And are we willing to trust him with what he brings to us for his hand, for his best? Do we trust him? Romans 5, 1 through 5 talks about the Apostle Paul um, is speaking. In Colossians, he was speaking to Gentiles like you and me, unless you're of Jewish descent. Um, But Paul basically says, um, let me just read the whole thing basically with, um, in Philippians, that would be a problem, right? It still would be good. Paul wrote that too from prison. He talks about the sufferings that he has endured for the the sake of Christ and the different beatings and things that he has gone through. Um, He said, I became its servant, meaning the church, meaning Jesus, according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known to you. The mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generation has now been revealed to all his people. To them, God chose to make known how great he is among the Gentiles and the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The only hope we really have is Jesus. The only hope the world really has is Jesus. And until he returns, until he returns, It is important that we be faithful, whatever he is doing, wherever he is moving, that we would understand he's moving all over the world. It's not just America. It's many, many places around the globe. And our hope is in what he is doing. Our hope is in what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Our hope is in him. Our hope is not in politics. Our hope is not in who's the superpower of the world. Our hope is in him. And he didn't overthrow the world the way they thought he would overthrow the world. He sent the Holy Spirit to all of us, to all of us, that we might be faithful for our generation. So my prayer for all of us today would be that our expectation of whatever we think we need or want or plans, that we can put those before him and trust in his goodness, trust in his redemption, that he wants to bring healing and redemption more than any of us could possibly imagine. And he's the one that can do it. I can't bring healing. I can't bring redemption. But I can bring you to the one who does. And that's our job. So our hope is in him. Christ in you. Christ in us. The hope of glory. Amen. That story of salvation that we read over and over and recite over and over again in our lives in Scripture is a precious thing for us to behold. It unveils itself and shows us the good and the 
bad and the ugly, if you will. It lets us have time to know that we can have hope because there's a witness to hope throughout Scripture. Sometimes in our own lives, when the darkness comes to us, I think especially as Christians, it's, it's very dim. It's very dim because we don't particularly recognize it, and sometimes we even deny it. Sometimes it takes its shape and form in a buried sin in our lives that we just don't want to confess. Sometimes it takes its shape in a broken relationship that we're unwilling to repair. Sometimes it takes its shape in a very secret and sacred place in our hearts or in our minds, and we're not even aware of it ourselves. And we cannot exercise our hope in Jesus unless we are aware of the darkness that besets us. So I'm inviting you this morning in the few moments of silence we share to examine your thoughts, your hearts, just to take a look inside. And if there's nothing that you are aware that is pressing you down because of the, and making a darkness, a dark place, if you will, in your life, then ask God to reveal it. Because I sincerely believe that that hope that Cindy is talking about in Jesus, that story of salvation, is meant to be our own story over and over and over again as we continue our journey with Christ toward that perfection of being his children that he's called us to. Will you join me in just a moment for, for a few moments of silence? Let's pray. Father God, you are the source of hope. You are the writer of the story and the commentator about the story as it unfolds. You sent your son Jesus that we might have reason for hope, that we might be able to see hope, that we might be able to exercise hope in our world and in our individual lives. You gave us the Holy Spirit who comes to empower that hope so that even in the midst of our darkness, we might rejoice in the Lord always and even again rejoice. For Lord, we are a people of hope or we are not your people. But Lord, we confess that sometimes that darkness just seems to want to fold around us. Sometimes its weight is so heavy and so personal that we don't feel like we can tell even you. And yet again, we remember you are the source of our hope. You are the personification of our hope in Jesus. And you are the power 
to exercise our hope through the love of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds. Father, in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, I speak against the darkness. I speak hope in the midst of darkness. For each of these people who are here and who are listening to us online, Lord, for every Christian who can hear my voice in any way, may they feel that surge of hope that is your mighty hand of deliverance. For you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. You are the lover of our lives. And you have called us to this glorious life of hope. And in this season, we are so thankful that even in the face of our darkness, we have hope. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.